Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. And you know, it's always exciting when a new hotel opens up. So on this week's podcast, we'll head to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, or just outside of Saskatoon, actually, to learn about the opening of the Dakota Dunes Resort and Casino. Plus, on the heels of Halloween, we'll visit the ghost town of Rowley, Alberta, located just north of Drumheller, and learn about its interesting past and how they've restored it to almost museum-like status. But to start things out, we're going to discuss the issue of airline refunds. It's been a contentious issue since the COVID pandemic began, and there's a bill before Parliament now to help clarify the issue. It's Bill C-249. It's endorsed by air passenger rights advocate Dr. Gabor Lukash. So we're very pleased to have Dr. Lukash join us now to talk about the bill itself and get some tips on what to do to get your money back from a cancelled flight if you haven't already. Hello, Dr. Lukash. Hi, Randy. Uh, let's talk about this uh, bill that was introduced last week first. Where is it at right now and what is it uh, trying to propose? The bill declares what the law has been for decades, which is that airlines must provide refunds to the original form of payment for flights they cancel, even if the cancellation was for reasons outside the airline's control. And it's as simple as that, isn't it? It is very simple. It affirms what the law has always been, and it embodies some kind of common sense, decency, and fairness that if a business is unable to deliver services, it must refund customers. The bill declares that airlines are no exception. If the bill is declaring the law as the law, (laughs) why do you need a bill? You know what I'm saying? Like, if the law already says that, why do we need another bill to kind of say what the law already says? Unfortunately, the federal government and the airlines seem to be disagreeing that the law has been this and the way and that the law says what it says. So the purpose of a declaratory bill is to put the government and the airlines in their place to tell them, this has been the law, this is the law, this will remain the law, tough for you. The, it's, a way to, for, it's a way for Parliament to settle the dispute in a way that precludes further debate, further argument, further litigation. You have to bear in mind that there are a number of class actions against the five major Canadian airlines, Air Canada, Air Transat, Sunwing, Swoop, and WestJet. And in fact, just um, this coming Monday, on November 2nd, a federal court judge will start hearing a certification motion of a proposed class action against those airlines, Mm -hmm. federal courts. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we're at as far as getting refunds for canceled flights. Um, There's this class action. So uh, what if I'm sitting on a refund that I still haven't got? What should I be doing as a consumer? My first step would be to proceed to a statutory chargeback if the airline is not willing to uh, deal with matters reasonably through uh, you know, normal course of action. A statutory chargeback is a procedure under the province's consumer protection legislation by which you first give a notice to the airline, to the vendor or supplier, that you are canceling the contract with them because they fail to deliver the services or goods you paid for. So you tell them, hey, you didn't hold up your part of the bargain, so now you have to give them back the money. And then, under provincial law, they have so many days to provide a refund, and if they fail to do so, 
then you send the direction to your credit card issuer to reverse the charges. And unlike internal chargeback, which is dealt with pursuant to the credit card network's own rules, a statutory chargeback is dealt with pursuant to the, to the province's laws, regulations. So uh, in Alberta, for example, this kind of statutory chargeback applies to everyone who is doing business, either if they are in Alberta or with an Alberta-based corporation. So for example, with WestJet and Swoop, it will apply to them even if the person who was doing business with them was outside Alberta, and it applies to online transactions. So the Alberta regulatory scheme for consumer protection applies for online transactions, transactions that were made online. So if you purchase a ticket online from uh, WestJet, from Swoop, or if you are in Alberta from Air Canada as well, then based on this legislation, you can then direct your credit card company, your credit card issuer, to reverse the charges. Uh, you know what the airlines have been saying? If we gave away, uh, gave that money back, uh, we would probably go bankrupt. You don't have any sympathy for that. I'm sure people that are waiting for the money don't have, have any sympathy for that either. We sympathize with the airline employees' hardship, but many passengers have experienced hardship too. Air Canada, as of June 30, 2020, held over $2.4 billion in advanced ticket sales, and the unearned fares belong to the passengers and must be returned to them. This type of argument about financial hardship is flawed for two reasons. First, Air Canada is about to buy Air Transat, which shows that they do have quite a bit of money. Second, and perhaps more importantly, financial hardship is not a reason to break the laws. There are people who are experiencing very significant financial hardship. The airlines seem to be suggesting that those people who now don't have money because of the COVID-19 pandemic should be free to walk into a supermarket, take items off the shelf, take it home and not pay, or say, well, I will pay you in two years when the COVID-19 pandemic is over. And the same people should perhaps even be authorized to walk over to their neighbors and take out food from their neighbor's fridge. Mm -hmm. Because that is what the airlines are doing. They are putting their hands into the passengers' pockets and taking money out of there without their permission. Dr. Gabor Lukacs is president of Air Passenger Rights. You can find more information on their website, airpassengerrights.ca. And, and, and we also invite people to visit our Facebook group where we have a number of volunteers who are able to help answer questions and provide information. Appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Lukacs. Thank you very much, Randy. Well, there's a new hotel that recently opened up just outside of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's the Dakota Dunes Resort and Casino. And here now to tell us more about it is Gary Farstad. He is the general manager of the Dakota Dunes Resort and Casino. Their website is dakotadunesresort.com. Hi, Gary. Hi, Randy. Thanks for thinking of us. Yeah, so um, I'm from Saskatoon. I'm kind of already familiar. We already have a golf course. You already have a casino there, which I've never been to, but um, give me some background on the resort phase of the Dakota Dunes. Okay, so it's, a, it's been a long time in the coming. Uh, I work for a company called Atlific Hotels, and we started working on this project with uh, Chief Darcy Bear back in 2004. And so this hotel has been a long time coming as part of the resort project. 
and it's great to finally see it open. Uh, we are a four-star property, and it's, uh, it's an upscale, very nice rooms. Uh, we have a rooftop pool. I didn't see that. I didn't see the rooftop pool. I'm looking at the website, <laughs> dakotadunesresort.com. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, it's got the beautiful view of the golf course. So our hotel is seven floors, and the seventh floor has the pool and hot tub overlooking the golf course. Well, you have a panoramic view of the golf course through the windows. And then outside, we do have the first outdoor licensed banquet patio area on a rooftop in Saskatchewan. So you can have a rooftop banquet event on our outdoor licensed patio. Tell me the story, uh, actually, of the Dakota Dunes itself, the significance of the area chosen for the White Cap Dakota First Nation. Yeah, so the, the history goes back to uh, the early 90s uh, when Chief Darcy Bear first got his vision and was elected chief. He's been a chief for a really long time. And so he wanted to create a project for economic development that would sustain employment in his community. So he started, uh, he started working on the golf course. Uh, they got the opportunity to have the casino here. I, I, from Saskatoon, you might know a little bit of the history. They wanted the casino potentially downtown or they wanted the casino away from town. And there was a vote and they decided to move Dakota Dunes outside of town. And uh, Chief Darcy Bear embraced the opportunity. And it's been full-on development ever since it came here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about the resorts, the rooms now you mentioned. Uh, they, I'm looking again on the website, dakotadunesresort.com. They do look fabulous. Uh, there's, there's something unique about them as far as the artwork, and it has that uh, sort of the, uh, the Dakota First Nations uh, feel about it, right? Yeah, so uh, on the actual wallpaper, we call it wall art, is uh, Chief Dorsey Bear's headdress. So uh, when above the bed on the right-hand side, you'll see Chief Dorsey Bear's headdress as wall art which is really cool. And then uh, we have different design features that uh, date back to Indigenous, where we use a lot of wood. Uh, our cabinets are made from millwork. It's not cabinets ordered from China, like a lot of brands. So we used a lot of local stuff when we could as well. And then the TVs are 55-inch smart TVs where you can uh, use a program called Staycast, where you can broadcast Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon, Anything you want and order movies and things like that. So I can log into my own Netflix account? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, from your phone. So you, all you do have to do on your, if you have Netflix on your phone, all you have to do is go to the website that is provided on the TV, and then you stream your phone to the TV from whatever app you'd like. Cool. So what are some of the uh, amenities you offer? Obviously, you've got the golf course and the casino. Uh, what else do you offer? Also, uh, we were really lucky in our search for an executive chef. Uh, we we uh, got a gentleman that wanted to come back to Canada from Turks and Caicos. He was executive chef at the Sandals property down there. And he's created an amazing farm-to-table menu, which is heavy on uh, meats grilled to perfection. So we have dishes like the Tatanka ribs. And uh, if you're not familiar with Tatanka, that's bison in Dakota. So we have, uh, and they're uh, similar to what you would see as like a slow-cooked beef rib. Uh, but with an indigenous touch and indigenous taste, we also have things like venison stew. And uh, one of the main features is called the chief ribeye, 32-ounce bone-in ribeye. And then we have the council ribeye, which is a 16-ounce ribeye. But we have all kinds of fresh food, arctic char, wild boar, walleye, gravlex. And it's a all fresh, nothing out of boxes. You said 32-ounce ribeye, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's <laughs> Have you uh, tried it? Sure. Yes, uh, I'm six four, two hundred fifty pounds, and I can handle a cheaper. 
It sounds like a, that sounds really good, actually. And that's in your Moose Woods restaurant, right? Yeah. So Moose Woods Home Fire Grill. So we have two sides. We have the lounge, which has some of the uh, menu items like the Tatanka ribs that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And more of a upscale lounge atmosphere. And then we have the dining room side, which is Moose Woods Home Fire Grill, which is a, it has the amazing menu. And uh, you can check it out on our website. They go to dudesresort.com. Mm-hmm. We have our menus on the web. Um, so we are living in this COVID world. Uh, it's interesting that you're opening a new hotel resort in the middle of COVID. Uh, what are some of the restrictions you got going on there? Uh, so I'll just go over the difficulty of opening a hotel during the COVID time. So uh, we had to open the hotel with a third of the staff that we intended on hiring pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. We still had all the work to do. And then obviously from day one, uh, we've had a mandatory face mask policy from staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a mandatory face mask policy for guests except for in the dining room and the bar and the swimming pool mm-hmm. uh, covid cleaning protocols that we follow by the canadian hotel associations recommended protocols which are above and beyond the government's uh, we should back up a little bit uh, i kind of uh, you know being from saskatoon I, I know where the dakota dunes golf course uh is and so obviously the the resort is there and the casino is there where is it in relation to the city of saskatoon so we are, uh, I, I moved here from Ontario in January. I was very lucky to get the opportunity to come here to open the hotel from another property that uh, my company manages. And I moved to Stonebridge area. If you're familiar with Saskatoon, you're familiar with Stonebridge. And I'm about 20 minutes away from the hotel from Stonebridge. You've been open, I think, uh, since uh, the first week of October, if memory serves me correct. Uh, what's been the the results so far? What's been the feedback? So, uh, we've actually... Uh, our meeting business is actually performing really strong. The challenge is, is that in a normal circumstance, you can put three to four people at an eight or six foot table. Mm-hmm. The COVID circumstance, we have to use way more tables, way more space, way more cleanliness protocols, and we have to use microphones in small meetings because everybody's socially distanced. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, actually, uh, we've been doing quite well on the local uh, meeting business. Nice. Anything you want to add that I might have missed? Uh, come uh, to come take a look at the hotel anytime you want. You don't have to stay here, but uh, we do have a staycation uh, on the website. But also we have the Wild Horse Meeting Space, which has natural light, floor-to-ceiling windows, beautiful architecture. Uh, we have wall art with uh, Tatankas, which are bison again, with calves. We have we have a lot of architecture that we reco- uh, resemble teepees. It's a really cool, unique hotel. We're in it authentic indigenous experience. Sounds great. Gary Farstead is the general manager of the Dakota Dunes Resort and Casino. Again, the website, dakotadunesresort.com. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Well, on the heels of Halloween, I thought it might be fun to visit a real ghost town. So to do that, we head to Rowley, Alberta, located just north of Drumheller. And joining us now to share the story of its interesting past and how they've restored it to almost museum-like status is Doug Hampton, longtime resident of Rowley, Alberta. Hi, Doug. Randy, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Uh, give me a bit of a history lesson about Rowley. I guess maybe we should start first about telling people where it is, right? Yeah, we're we're approximately uh, 27 miles north of Drumheller and three miles to the west on the big uh, 
Raleigh sign on the highway. You'll see it on Highway 56. Um, so now give me a bit of a history lesson. It's got a fascinating history. I've been reading up a little bit about it. So tell me about it. Yeah, I think the town started in the in the, around the 1910, somewhere in there. People started uh, putting up shacks and stores and whatever, and the train tracks came through probably in the middle of night uh, the 13 something like that 1913 14 and then they built a station 1919 they built a hospital and and there was lumber yards and gas stations garages and dance halls and it was a booming town through the 20s i think the population supposedly hit four or five hundred people wow and people came from miles around for the dances and socials and whatever they had. And then the dirty 30s hit, and people started leaving. So that was kind of the the demise of the town, I guess. They couldn't find employment around here and headed for greener pastures. So. I'm sure there's many uh, towns throughout Alberta or even Western Canada or throughout North America, for that matter, that have a similar type of story. But what makes Rowley different? I mean, the, you're, what is it, the population now is something like 8 or 10? Is that a generational thing? Is that, do the people that live there now, do they go back to like 100 years ago? Well, the, yeah, the Hamptons do. Uh, my dad came from Virginia in 1904 and... Then he took up a homestead in 1918 or something like that, just east of Raleigh here, and then he's he's been here over over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. He's passed on now, but but the family took it over, and my nephew uh, is farming farming his original land and that so. And it sounds like you've done a pretty good job restoring uh, the buildings that are there now. Uh, tell me about uh, some of the restorations that have gone into that and the, and the work that's been done. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it's it's a fair amount of work. Uh, a lot of the buildings, we put tin on them, which, well, should last for 50 years or 100 years. And, and uh, our museum, our station house, we re-shingled it, put shakes on it. And painted her all up, and it's in pretty good shape. You know, we had a school moved in from uh, Hills Green, just six or eight miles south of Raleigh here. And it's full of the school paraphernalia from the early 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And you've restored the grain elevators, I understand, too. Yeah, that's been about 12... 10 or 12 years ago, the, uh, a government grant uh-huh. redid them and fixed them all up. They're still standing. And, well, the, the wind is working on them now. <laughs> tearing some of the siding and that off. So. Tell me a bit about the railway museum, too. I understand there's quite a few artifacts in there. It's almost like the, the town is a museum itself. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, you get on Main Street and... We have the original store, Raleigh Trading Post, uh, and then we have Sam's Saloon, which is next to it. They were both built back in the 20s, 1920s. 
and our garage it was getting dilapidated so bad that we had to uh, knock it down and then we put up a new building and and my brother he built the same front that was on the old garage put it on the new garage so it it looks uh fits right into main street type of dla Mm -hmm. and our church was built i think in 1939 or something and it's it's in fairly nice shape and the hall it was probably in the 30s too when it was built and we've kept it up and the other two buildings on main street the pool hall and the bank well they were fronts from uh, the movie bye bye blues mm-hmm. and then we made a building out of them eh? mm-hmm. and they're all full of antiques and artifacts and Stuff from the old days. Yeah, and so can people go into the buildings and, and see how it's set up, or is it just sort of like a look-through-the-window type thing? Well, this year it's been kind of a look-through-the-window. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, usually we hire uh, students for two or three months in the summer there, and they give tours through all the buildings and, and uh, try to keep the tourists happy, eh? mm-hmm. explain to them what these are and that is. And, Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, if you're going to visit Raleigh, do you just kind of show up, or are there actual guided tours? And I'm talking in a normal year, obviously 2020 is a little bit different with a COVID thing, but um, in a normal year, would that be the case? Uh, yeah, you would just show up, and usually we run the tours from uh, last week or so in June to the end of August, and we hire school students to uh, give the tours. Eh? Mm-hmm. There's no cost for the tours. It's by donation. and It's just a matter of trying to keep the town looking good, and, mm-hmm. and people enjoy that. Eh? It is known as a ghost town. Are there any ghosts that you know of or stories that are out there? Well, we had a wedding here probably eight or ten years ago, and... Uh, these people were taking some pictures. They had an old uh, antique Model A or something, and they took some pictures, and there was a bush on the other side of it, and uh, somebody showed up in the bush <laughs> that shouldn't have been there. <laughs> but somebody the meaning picture. not of this uh, earth type thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, then I guess you can build on that, too. Just uh, looking at some of the images and things like that, uh, a ghost town, and there, there's just something about it, right? It, either there's real ghosts or your imagination just, uh, you know, takes off for a bit. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I live here. I don't let my imagination get too carried away. But... <laughs> <laughs> As long as they're friendly ghosts. Of course. You do get yeah. some pretty good reviews on TripAdvisor. Um, you know, any tips for anybody that is that might want to take a cruise out there? Well, yeah, it's, it's mainly uh, photographs right now. But hopefully next summer things will be back to normal and we'll be able to give tours. And, and uh, we got lots of picnic tables. You can have your lunch or whatever and sit outside type of deal. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular one building or one type of artifact or display or something that you're particularly proud of or have a, a story behind? I think we're pretty proud of our uh, saloon. We we have a license for it, which allows kids in, and uh, 
like it's the original building from 1920, I think it is, when it was built. It used to be a confectionery store, and the owner, Sam Leung, he passed away in 72, I think, and left the building to a, one of the farmers outside of town, and this farmer donated it to Raleigh. So nice. uh, people would come to town to get their mail and kind of meet at the post office and thought we should break an inner into the, into the store, right? into mm-hmm. the Sam saloon. And <laughs> so, yeah, drink a few beers, and uh, the idea came around that, gee, maybe we should make this place into a saloon. <laughs> and that's, that's what it is. Right? It's yeah. got original uh, seats in there and a lot of paraphernalia. You get looking around on the walls and the ceiling and sawdust on the floor. Mm-hmm. We are famous for being a ghost town. You're on the uh, ghosttowns.com website, uh, among another uh, among uh, a number of different websites. It's Raleigh, Alberta, just north of Drumheller, and Doug Hampton is a uh, resident of Raleigh, part of the Community Association. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Doug. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Good chatting with you, Randy. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.